Good morning. Uh, my name is Reed, and I'm the student pastor here at Real Life. Um, and this morning, uh, I just want to kind of start off by asking you a question. Uh, what do you think of when I say the word legacy, right? Just like picture it in your head. Like what's the first thing that pops in your mind when you think of this word? Maybe it's like a food thing. I don't know. My, my family is like, yes, legend when it comes to food. I don't know why, but uh, maybe for you it's like extra, extra toasty Cheez-Its. Uh, maybe it's lasagna. Maybe it's, uh, there's this place in Cincinnati called the Taste of Belgium, and they have the best chicken and waffles I have ever had in my whole life. Uh, that right there is a legacy for me. That, that is just beautiful and amazing. Or uh, maybe it's you think of people. So you're like, I don't know, Einstein, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, Beyonce. I don't know. You think, okay, where are the legacies? Maybe you're a sports person like me. And so around here, you're like Ryan Sandberg, Frank Thomas, Mike Ditka, The Fridge. I don't know. Name somebody where you're like, man, that is a legacy. Or maybe it's, maybe it's a bad legacy too, right? Like they're going to be bad legacies. Like Tom Brady or Jim Harbaugh or anything from the University of Michigan. Um, I don't know. There's, there, right? I, I don't, Green Bay Packers, Steve Bartman. You name the people that you're like, man, horrible legacy, right? He shouldn't have made him not catch that ball in the playoffs. We would have won the World Series earlier. That kind of thing. I don't know. Whatever it is. I think it's funny because I'm a Reds fan and we lose. So... Um, I know, they're not even good. Uh, but maybe it's the whole city of Pittsburgh. I don't know. Whatever your bad legacy is, right? Like, you, we all, a little bit of this idea of legacy is all self-perception, right? It's a little bit of it is all a little bit of our own opinion. You, you love what you love, and you're like, that guy's a great guy, right? My mom is, like, the biggest Cincinnati Reds fan ever. She thinks that Joey Votto is, like, the godsend of earth, like, she, she thinks that he is the best baseball player ever. He's the nicest guy ever because he's Canadian, so why wouldn't he be? Uh, and I'm just like, Mom, you don't even know this guy. Like, you have no, you've never met him. You just think he's a great guy. Uh, uh, so a little bit of this whole idea of legacy, whatever that is, is, is all in our head a little bit. Like, we all have our own uh, self-perception of what that is. And so today we're going to be talking about the legacy of a legend. And maybe you don't know who he is. Maybe you do know who he is, but his name is Barnabas. Um, and before we kind of get to talking about him and what makes him himself, what makes Barnabas really Barnabas, we're going to talk about these two guys that we got an opportunity to see at NYC. And so if you don't know what NYC was, uh, we just took a couple students, uh, 15 or so, to uh, NYC, and uh, we got the opportunity to go uh, to Phoenix, Arizona to check out this giant conference with all these other youth groups. Uh, and these guys had... Uh, they blessed us with their story, and they were able to speak at this, at this NYC conference. And their name is Justin and Patrick. And uh, just a little heads up for you guys, Justin was diagnosed uh, with multifocal acquired motor axonopathy, which is kind of like ALS. And so uh, his body, ha over time, has been deteriorating, uh, and it's been destroying his nerve cells so he can't move things in his body. Uh, but it's easier for me to show you their story a little bit more than it is for me to tell you. So check out this video clip of their story. It still amazes me how far we've come.
Hola. ¿Vais a hacer todo el camino? Sí. Sí. Eh, vas a tener bastante difícil. Sí, sí. es muy difícil. Lo sabéis. Sí. That's been something that's so rare. I haven't seen a friendship like that before. Mechanical malfunction. It's hard not to feel like a burden in this. So, Federer Kishon. His body's feeling the effects of it the last several days. Sucks. Try not to let Jess know that it sucks, though. It's time to walk. <laughs> I'm just making it, guys. <laughs> I have no idea how far this goes. I don't either. Sometimes it's best not to know. It's really hard to let somebody do that for you. Yo, what's up, bro? <laughs> Yeah, so they actually made a movie, and it's called I'll Push You. And so if you're looking at you do, you want to watch that whole story, uh, it, it legitimately is this amazing story of two people who, whether they know it or not, are living like Barnabas, and they're living every day um, that way. And so we're going to dive in, we're going to uh, look at Acts, uh, and we're going to take a look at three different things that made Barnabas who he is. Um, the first thing is Barnabas was invitational, okay? Now, if you're a, a, a super big note taker, I will forewarn you that I messed up your entire notes, okay? So invitational is not first on your note list. I, I realize that, and I'm super sorry. And if you want to come yell at me afterwards, I'll, I will apologize. And then, uh, and then we'll buy you a coffee on somebody else. So, um, so the first one is invitational. And we look at Acts 9, 26 through 27. It says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then, then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. 
He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So we're picking up after uh, Saul's initial conversion, right? Like you, you understand the, the story of Saul. Saul was the guy who killed Christians uh, and was all of a sudden knocked off his horse on, his ro- on this road, uh, scales over his eyes, and then, he, and then he had seen the Lord, right? So the scales were over his eyes, and he became Paul. But if you were a believer who was a Christian and you knew this guy as someone who would just walk around and kill people uh, who believed the way that you did, you wouldn't necessarily have that much faith in him, right? Uh, I mean, like, hey, it's okay. You can talk to him if you want. He just may kill you. Like, it'll be fine. Um, that's just really not most people's style. So uh, Barnabas picks him up later. He, after three years of him walking around preaching after this conversion moment, uh, he goes and, and finds the disciples, and he's like, hey, listen, I'm one of you guys now. And like I said, the disciples were like, no, man, I don't really think that maybe that's in the best interest or the best decision yet. I don't really know if I believe you. Is this kind of like a play so that way you could get us because we're the heads of the church? Um, and Barnabas kind of takes, uh, goes out on a limb a little bit, right? He's like, hey, no, 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 listen, guys, I want to tell you about his experience. I want to tell you how valuable he is. I want to tell you how much he can do for the church, how much he's doing for God, right? Which is, which is really cool. Barnabas extends an invitation. He's like, okay, listen, this guy proclaims he knows that he loves Jesus, and so therefore, he's one of us. And so he goes before the disciples and, and does that. And Barnabas has a, a history of this. If you, if you move on later into Acts 15, uh, he sticks up again for another young Christian uh, who made a mistake. And this, is at, this time is actually against Paul, right? Paul's like, whoa, listen, this guy's betrayed us once before, which is, his, uh, which is Barnabas's cousin. And Barnabas is like, well, listen, if it comes between uh, this new believer who needs someone to love and invest in them, and it comes between you, then I'm picking the new believer as much as he may deserve it or not. This is what Jesus teaches us to do, right? I'm sending this invitation. See, Barnabas knows nothing else than to reach out and invite somebody in, to be like, hey, listen, this is our family, and you deserve to be a part of it. And even if that is a great risk, even if that destroys his reputation, even if that uh, makes him lose his credentials or whatever, he is like, hey, this is, this is worth inviting someone in. And here's the thing, thank God for people like Barnabas, right? If you've experienced someone like Barnabas in your life who will invite you in, who wants you to be a part of their family, thank God for people like Barnabas because they change the world around them. The people who will welcome people into the family of God with simple friendship. Barnabas simply extended the love of Jesus and he reached out a hand, and later Paul would write, love believes all things, right? Love believes all things. So if you're talking about a legacy, if you're talking about Barnabas's legacy, Paul is a part of Barnabas's legacy, and so if he says, listen, love can defeat all things, he knows that firsthand from Barnabas. The second thing is, be generous. Acts 4, 36 through 37 For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Here's a question I want to ask you this morning. Which one of you in this room sold your house before you came here and are donating all the proceeds to the church because we need it? Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, But Barnabas did, right? This guy is... I mean, in our sense of everything, it's kind of nuts, right? You're like, hey, man, I don't know. Like, I took Dave Ramsey class. I don't know if, like, selling your house and giving it all away is, like, in your best interest. 
uh, right? Be a good steward. Like, we come up with a lot of great excuses in the church world as to, no, man, like, you steward your money. Keep that thing. I don't know why give it away. Uh, but Barnabas comes. This is the first experience he ever has with the disciples. He comes and just hands them this money. And actually, what, if, you, if you caught on, what do they name him? They name him the son of encouragement, right? You see, he embodied something so much that they had to rename him. The, the disciples had to give him a different name. His name before was Joseph, but he was so freely giving with so much different stuff, they had to rename him, which is incredible, right? So uh, <coughs> Barnabas was kind of a notable example of, giving, of a giving spirit. Uh, he wasn't just giving money. He was giving a lot more things than that. And I think that our downfall is when we hear the word generosity, we think of money every time, Right? That's just where our mind goes. Like, oh, they want money. Oh, generosity equals money, right? Well, I'm going to kind of debunk that. Generosity requires a piece of us, right? Generosity has to have something from us involved in it. There has to be a piece of us, uh, of us given away. Or as like my dad would say, right, there's, there's got to be some skin in the game for us. Got to throw something in there for us. See, we are called to give our time with generosity. Money is sometimes easier than time. We live in a world that celebrates busy, right? We, we are impressed by ourselves. Be generous of heart. Listen, care, empathize. True friends save heart space for others. Don't just give your money or your presence. Give a part of your soul. See, Patrick, in this story, gave up a lot of things so that way his friend, his childhood best friend, Justin, could fulfill this pilgrimage that he felt like he needed to be a part of. 500 miles, right? Can you imagine pushing someone in a wheelchair for 500 miles? There's a ton of generosity. There's, there's a ton of things, of presence. Of, there's a lot of other things that he could have been doing for that weeks that it took him to go 500 miles with his best friend. See, we impress from a distance, but we impact from close. If we want to impress people, share your schedule. But if you want to impact people, give your time. The third thing Barnabas was is that he was an encourager. Acts 11, 20 through 26, it says, However, some believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and the large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, otherwise known as Paul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Paul, both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Now, here's the thing. If you're reading these verses and you're really looking at, okay, what is Barnabas doing? What's he a part of? How is this uh, being an encourager or whatever? Here's the thing. Every single story about Barnabas lends to the other point, right? So not only in this was uh, Barnabas came to this church and what did he do? He encouraged people, right? That is what he did. But he also looked at the people who he had in his life, and he said, okay, I want someone else to be a part of this. Who is someone that I invested in, who I loved, and I want them to be a part of? So he went and found Paul, right? He went and found him because he wanted him to be a part of what was happening. 
And so his invitation is still there. His generosity of spending time and days and even weeks trying to find Paul is generous just so he could be a part of that story. <clears throat> so he was so encouraging that the disciples renamed him Barnabas, right? We talked about that some, something uh, before, but here's the thing. If you are so encouraging that someone has to name you son of encouragement, what if we employed this thought now, right? What if we renamed everyone in this room based on your actions? What would your name be? Like something that you lived out so much that someone would be like, all right, I need to rename them this name. What would they name you? Right? I don't know. Like it depends on who you ask, right? Like uh, it could get ugly fast. But here's the deal. Friends, friends and people who are legacy leavers have a permanent effect on us. Pick good ones. First, First Corinthians 15.33 said, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character, right? We understand that. Instead, we are called to leave a legacy of encouragement to give support, confidence, and hope to the people that God has put around us. Paul had an incredible friend who made an everlasting impact on his life. And if you're like, hey, Paul wrote half the Bible. Hey, Paul created the modern-day looking church. And to think that this guy would never be who he is if it wasn't for one man named Barnabas who decided to leave a legacy around him, right? It's amazing. The, the impact of what we can do is amazing. And I'm sure that Barnabas did not know what he was doing when he was involved in that. See, Barnabas is the ideal legacy leaver. His life illustrates what it looks like to care and engage others. Barnabas rightly focused on his main job as a leader of a congregation of people. He strengthened the church family itself with the, with the results that a great many people were added to the Lord, right? Which is what they told us. And, it, and here's the deal. Modern church looks a lot different than church back then. But if we look back, okay, what was their plan? How do we want to make new converts? How do we want to change the world around us? How do we want to be for the region? How do we want to be for our city, for our church? What did he do? He just encouraged people. He literally, he sought the people around him and he was like, hey, that person needs to be built up and I'm going to build them up. This is the plan for church growth spoken in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Leaders, is, leaders in the church dedicate themselves to building strong, healthy Christians. As the saints are equipped for the ministry, they grow in maturity. And then after that, they do their ministry. And then after that, it causes the body to grow, right? But it starts with encouragement. He said, hey, just look around. Look, look at the people around you in this room. Who needs encouragement? Who needs to be built up? Even in the story of Justin and Patrick, they lifted each other up constantly. See, Patrick called Justin probably the most uh, encouraging person that he's ever met. And he's like, how can you not move any of your legs, your body, or anything and still be the most encouraging person ever? And I'm pretty sure you can't really walk 500 miles through that kind of grueling torture without some sort of encouragement. If you haven't picked up on it yet, each of these passages still lend to the other one. Barnabas is himself all the time. In every single story that, that the Bible gives us, Barnabas is still himself. He's still inventational. He is still generous, and he's still an encourager in every single story. He doesn't know how to do ministry any different. He continues to live this out all the time. And here's kind of the crazy part, and you guys know this already, about Justin and Patrick's story. 
when other people see you living like Barnabas, they want to be a part of it, right? Have you ever, have you ever seen someone embody these three things? Like they're generous, uh, they're so loving and encouraging, and they're invitational. They invite you in all the time. Uh, when you've seen someone, met someone like that, you want to be a part of that, right? I mean, it's amazing the feeling that they give you or, or, or the feeling that you can give someone else through these kind of things. Like even living like Barnabas, you're like, wow, like I don't want anything different. Can I live like Barnabas all the time? Right? Like it's an amazing feeling. See, other people on this story, uh, other people on this, uh, in this, that you, that you don't really get to see, the whole story is really about Justin and Patrick, um, but the more that people saw them living like Barnabas, the more other people wanted to get involved. So at, at some points of this ride, some people were seeing what Patrick was doing for Justin, and they were like, hey, man, can I give you a break? Can I help you out? Can I, can I just, can I stroll him for a little while, and you can just walk? And people were giving their time. They were being incredibly generous. They were like, hey, uh, this is a pilgrimage that, that literally thousands of people go on a year. And so you, you run across people on the path, and they're like, hey, do you need some place to stay? Do you need food? Hey, listen, uh, can, I, can I just be a part of your family for a second? And of course, they're like, yeah, hey, be a part of our story. Be in it. And at one point, uh, one of the main things that uh, Justin really wanted to see was called the Cruz de Fierro. And if you know what that is, you got, you, in the video, there was this giant pole, and at the top of it, there's this iron cross um, and around it, all over the place, are these rocks everywhere, right? So what you do when you come to this place uh, is you grab this rock or you bring a rock from where you're from. And you come to the foot of this cross, this giant pole with this cross at the top of it just standing there. Uh, and you throw this rock down with these millions of other rocks um, to say, hey, here's my burdens. Please, God, take them away from me. And so Justin had this in his mind when he, when he got diagnosed. Justin had this in his mind uh, when he was like, hey, this is getting harder. I can't move any of my extremities. This is really difficult for me. How, what am I supposed to do for my children? What am I supposed to do for my wife? Like, they didn't really sign up for this, but uh, this is difficult, right? And he's like, I just have a lot of things that I just need to put at the foot of the cross. And he needed that. He needed this real, this real tangible, practical Thing. And, um, and Patrick and a number of other people were willing to be like, hey, listen, if that's what you need, I'll take you there. I'll push you. Bob Goff, who is this uh, incredible author, speaker, uh, is probably one of the funniest, craziest people I've ever heard speak. He's just wild. I mean, listen to him one time and you'll know exactly what I mean for five minutes. It's just a, a weird dude. But He's also one of the most loving, incredibly intelligent people people that I have ever heard of. And he has this book, and it's called Everybody Always. And one of the craziest funny things uh, is he starts going through his experience when it comes to skydiving. And before I, before I get into that, I just want to let you know that I have a thing called acrophobia, okay? Acrophobia is the fear of heights. I don't like it. I don't get anywhere near edges. Like, if, it, if this is, like, 10 feet down or whatever, I, I grew up in, like, a man's man's house, so they're like, you're not afraid of anything, right? But I'm like, I'm afraid of heights. Uh, like, I might not be afraid of anything, but I'm afraid of heights. Uh, and so, like, if I get close to an edge of anything, like, I start getting dizzy, and, like, I feel like I'm about to pass out, which is not good when you could fall over thing. Um, 
So, like, I don't go next to edges. And, and let, me, let me be the first one to tell you, like I said, we took our students to Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, so we got to go to the Grand Canyon, which is great from, like, a distance. Um, and in pictures. Like, it's super cool there in pictures. And uh, documentaries, whatever, it's cool, just not when you're there. Well, I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon. There's, there's no edge. Like, there's, just, there's, like, there's no ropes. I'm like, hey, man, can we just we put something up here, like just right here, something, something, uh, and, uh, and, and if, you, if you want evidence of this, ask Jamie Garzella, because she knows, uh, taking students to the Grand Canyon was like, I lost five years off my life, like it, it made me want to jump off the cliff, like it is that, it is that bad, uh, when you're like, look guys, I'm safe, and you're like, no you're not, you're 14, and you're gonna fall off and die, get over here, um, it's not good, right? It's not good. Um, so anyway, Bob Goff, he writes in this, in this book about a skydiving, and he talks about his experience with a skydiving instructor who told him about what happens to your body when you die, right? He said, hey, let me tell you what happens, just, just to clear the air, let me tell you what happens when your parachute doesn't open, which is great, yeah, right. So as I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, guess who's never going skydiving? Me. Because... Um, Hey, jump out the plane. It's like, yeah, it's a perfectly good plane. Um, why would I jump out? It makes no sense. So here's what Bob Goff, I'm going to read you guys uh, straight from the book. Here's what Bob Goff says that his, hitting, his instructor says to him during their class. He says, hitting the ground isn't what kills you. Every bone in your body will break, of course. But after you hit the ground, you'll bounce. And it's the second time you hit that kills you as all the broken bones puncture all your organs. Right. Right? Yeah, it's wild. I don't know. I'm like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds pleasant. We should go skydiving, right? Uh, no. Uh, but here's, here's the thing, and this is what I love about Bob Goff. Let, let me tell you what he learned from that experience. What is true of skydiving is true in our lives. It's usually not the initial failure that takes any of us out. It's the bounce. We've all hit the ground hard at work or in a relationship or, in, or, or with big ambition whether we had a public failure or even a big private one, the initial failure won't crush our spirit or kill our faith. It's the second hit that does. The second hit is what it follows when things go massively wrong or we fail big. And the people we thought would rush, rush to us create distance instead. They express disapproval or treat us with polite indifference. If we want to be like Jesus, here's our simple and courageous job. Catch people on the bounce. When they mess up, reach out to them with love and acceptance the way Jesus did. When they, hurt, when they hit hard, run to them with arms wide open to hug them even harder. God wants to be with them when they mess up, and he wants us to participate. See, people don't die on the impact they die after the bounce. People's soul don't die on the first hit. They die on the second. The church has done a bad job at this. In the history of church, we've done a bad job at this. We run away instead of stay. We distance ourselves. We avoid the splash zone, right? We don't want to be involved. The best way to leave a legacy is to catch someone before they hit the second time. Intervene before things are too, too late. We have, we have to have tough conversations that we don't want to have. We give more time and energy than is convenient for us. We risk our reputation for the recovery of others. We pick prayer over pride. See, catching people on the bounce will be hard. It will be messy. It's difficult. Any one of you who have spent more than 10 minutes with a person understand how messy life is. 
Sin doesn't draw clean lines. We will have to get up and risk a lot. But look at what we could gain when we decide to extend a hand. The price of leaving a legacy of encouragement is high. It costs us to be generous. It costs us to send out invitations. The reward is people like Paul, people who further the church, who write the Bible. Paul is never Paul without Barnabas' legacy. So let me challenge you with this question. Who do you need to, count, who do you need to catch on the bounce this week? Who's someone around you where you're like, wow, man, they hit hard. They got hit really hard. But I don't want them to hit the second time. Who's somebody you need to catch on the bounce this week? Or if you're paying attention in the video, one of the, one of the things that struck me, uh, which was so amazing, was Justin's uh, little clip of him saying, wow, it's really hard to let people do this for me. It's really hard to let Patrick sacrifice this much for me. So here's the deal. Maybe you're the person who just hit once. Maybe you're the person who's on the bounce. Maybe this right now is the moment where you're like, hey, man, I just wish somebody would catch me. And so for you, extend a hand. Who do you need to extend a hand to this week to help someone catch you? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for a chance to talk um, about you. God, thank you for um, the legacy that you've shared with us through the life of Barnabas. God, help us to become people who are generous, who are encouraging, and who are invitational. Um, God, we want to look like you every day, and and, uh, if that looks a little bit more like Barnabas, God, we love and appreciate that. Thank you so much for what you've given us, and thank you for this family. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so if you'd like to stand, I'll leave you guys with a blessing. So what we do around here, we leave a blessing. So if you extend your hands like this, that means you want to receive the blessing. Uh, If you go like this, that means you're closed off from the blessing. Just whatever you want to do, all right? Uh, Hey, go this week. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. Help someone. uh, Catch somebody off the bounce. Be generous. Be loving. Be invitational. uh, And be whatever the third word that I said that I can't remember. Go this week. Hug somebody. Tell them you love them.